The Map Room, a business owner's guide to the art of harnessing choice. The podcast that explores the world of business through the decisions owners face and the choices they create. Join the conversation with Paul Barnes and Stuart Brown as they walk through some of the toughest decisions you have to make while leading a business and how understanding the choices can be used to guide strategy and optimize outcomes. Brought to you by Map and a host of special guests. Well, here we are. We find ourselves at episode 13 of The Map Room. Uh, not sure whether we'd get here. We started this idea a year ago, Paul and I, and it was really about how could we help those clients of MAP who that were on a journey in their agency or in their business uh, maybe learn more and get some insights from people who've been on that journey before them. And in that journey, we've covered uh, creation, why people found their company, uh, how they went through the growth journey, the pains of growth. We speak about the emotion and logic of decision making. We also looked at exit, we looked at investment, and we looked at areas such as governance. So I think we've covered lots of areas that I would say are potentially generic, uh, don't just apply to this sector, uh, but apply to probably every business in this sector. Um, and what we wanted to do today to finish on was really cover something that I think has been an ongoing problem for the last 12 months at least, but is something of a new issue, new phenomenon. And even um, lunatics like I that have done this numerous times uh, hadn't uh, addressed and had to address this issue. And that's really why um, I've got the guest in today that we've got. So I think first and foremost, I should uh, give a big welcome to Karen Rayburn from The Profitable Firm. Karen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Nice to see you. And you. So Karen is the founder of The Profitable Firm, although that business today is more affectionately known to its clients and its friends, such as us at MAP, simply as PF. So Karen, talk to us about uh, PF, um, talk to us about where it came from, because the thing that really I wanted to discuss today was I've always had this view that your business was remote before remote was even a thing. So rather than me spoil my understanding or pretend to understand what I know, talk to us about how you created that business and and, and why and how you were a remote first business all them years ago. Absolutely. So I'm a qualified accountant myself, studied accountancy at university, worked as an auditor and an accountant. So starting PF for me was about helping as many accountants as I could with doing the marketing work. And I started it on my own, had a few freelancers to support, as you often do. And I started it remotely to serve myself and where I was at that stage in my life. So first, I didn't intend to set out to where I am now with a creative agency of 20 people and we have a whole management team and and it's still all remote. But I didn't, as often happens, I didn't know what I was starting. I just wanted to help accountants with their marketing. And I launched off to do that. But at the time, I was fairly significantly feeling the challenges of having ME, which is also known as chronic fatigue. And so I had health reasons that meant that every item of energy was precious. So I had to budget my energy the same way I budgeted time or money or food or anything else that we budget out for. And the extra time and money to have an office and to go there and to like there were mornings in those early days when it was very severe where taking a shower was about as much 
as I could have the energy to do. So if I was going to run a business, which part of the reason for doing that, again, was to mean I could work anytime, anywhere. I could work at two in the morning if that's when I happened to be awake and couldn't sleep. So it's very much a, this is where my life and health is at that moment. So this is the way I need to set it up so that I can work. That, that's fascinating. And and I didn't I didn't know that, Karen. I didn't know that history. We had uh, another guest on, I'm going to say somewhere in the middle, episode six or episode eight, which was uh, the sumo guy, Professor Paul McGee. And Paul always says that he created this creative business he was an author uh, because he also had me mm-hmm. and when nobody else would employ him for those reasons that he didn't know what days he could literally yep. think straight let yes. alone do anything uh, so he ended up creating this thing we, we talk um and i will talk later when about about you how your journey um when we started this podcast we we spoke about the concept of what we call circumstantial or intentional decision making and there's a perfect example for me which is it was your attempt to do something but it was the circumstances that you found yourself in which very often when we do speak to clients is the catalyst of why they've got their business which is amazing I didn't realize that so apologies for interrupting you but I thought that was a really uh, powerful uh, point to take from that so go back to your first days so what you're saying to me there is yes remote was because it suited me i'd really love to know the story because i can tell by your accent you're not a nat you're not a natural um scottish uh I, 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 what would i say i don't know scott i should say there scott before i get myself into political I'm an adopted problems. scott adopted scott am, yes talk to us about that then because obviously you you have um a American accent, and you're going to criticize me if I say you're Canadian in a minute. You're going to kill me. <laughs> it's okay. Americans don't mind if you call them Canadian. Yeah. It's just the other way around. Okay. <laughs> so talk to us. So so I love it then. So the the business started because you found yourself isolated, if that's the right phrase, in Scotland. You were not a native of that country. You needed to do something. You had health constraints that were uh, the circumstantial part but your intent was to do something positive with that experience. So just give us a little bit more about that because I think that's a really powerful lesson for people. Yeah, and I love that intention and circumstance combined because really I think most of the decisions we make have a combination of that. You know, I intended to start a business. Maybe I didn't intend at that time to start it, as I said, an agency with 20 or more people, and it became that, but the circumstances direct certain decisions that you make. And, you know, speaking about remote, we saw that during COVID, during the pandemic, there were a lot of people whose circumstances made changes and then how you respond to that and what you do with that impacts the business. So I originally came over to Scotland for a couple years. You know, that was my intention was to come over, live here for a couple years, and then move back to America. And there's a whole story behind that, but it was basically I'd come and spent three years working with an accountancy firm. I had a work permit. And when it came time to go, okay, it's been three years, I wasn't quite ready. Nice. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll stay on for a little longer. You know, we, we, ext- we got it residency instead of the work permit. Yep. So I wasn't tied to that particular company. And then after I'd had residency for four years, I discovered I, I was able to apply for Scottish citizenship or British citizenship. And I thought, well, it's a good thing to do. You know, I can have two passports. I can be like James James Bond, Bond or James Jason Bourne, either one. <laughs> uh, and and it just would make things simpler. Yeah. And I could do whatever I wanted. So once I got 
that citizenship, it opened up those opportunities. So I wasn't restricted by a particular job or, or needing a work permit or something like that. So the opportunities opened up. And then, as we said, at the same time, my opportunities felt like they diminished a little because of health reasons. And I had this passionate desire to help accountants with what they didn't have at the time. There were very few companies. We've been going for 11 years now, and there were very few companies at that time, if any, who were doing the all the marketing agency work just for accountants. So there were so many people saying, accountants, you need to do this. You yes. need a brand. You need a okay. website. You need to be blogging. You need to be doing video, whatever it be. And then the accountant's going, yeah, okay, so I guess I'll go talk to a branding agency. And then they'd talk to them and they'd work with them. And then they need a website built, so they'd go to a website agency yeah. and repeat everything that they had just told to the brand people. And then once they got those built, they'd pick another company or a freelancer. They'd try and do it themselves or, worse of all, not do anything because it's too much. And they're sitting there going, well, I'm not a marketer. I'm an accountant. I, I, fascinating. And also the very fact... I think I would extend that to, I mean, I recognize that totally with accountants because of my experience of working with Matt, but also very much professional services with lawyers yes. as well. I think it's that thing of the, the, there is almost a disconnect because of a discomfort about marketing. They, I mean, it's not that long ago, If say if you're as, as old as I am, I remember when um, lawyers were not even allowed to advertise. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's, that's changed. And so yes. you've still got a culture, however, of those businesses where, you know, the concept of marketing, that's almost sales like that's almost a dirty yes. word that we shouldn't be doing. Yes, so. that, that's one of the challenges that I've seen for the last 11 years or even before that. And still continually now, one of the challenges for accountants is that tendency or that belief that comes from a very good thing that they have. You mm. know, accountants are very good at the work that they do. We need accountants. I believe accountants literally are in a place where they help people not only to save their businesses, but sometimes almost quite literally to save their lives. You know, you have somebody who who is discouraged or frustrated or thinking of giving up the business and their accountant helps them not have to do that or to move into the market they want to. And it's a it's a massive thing. It's a, an important thing. And accountants can go, well, it's just what I do. Yep. You know, that's that's just, it makes sense to me. But it's amazing to the person who receives it. And so when you take that together with the belief that accountants have absorbed in their mind that I am not creative, I am not a marketer, I'm not an artist or whatever, and they combine all that together as if creativity is art, yep. which it is not. You know, spoiler alert to my second book, which <laughs> yeah, is Accountants, yeah. You're Creative Too, because you're a human. Yeah. Every human's creative. Accountants are humans. Therefore, accountants are creative. I, I, I will I will give you an advance warning on that one. The phrase creative accounting means yes. something very, yes. very we're, we're thinking of putting a subtitle with a little star that <laughs> says not that kind of creative accounting. That, that, would, that, yes. would, that would work. Yeah. So, that, that again, that, that's incredible because that's a perfect example of as we talk about this idea that says there was an intent or a circumstance mm -hmm. change and we did that really. So you've explained there your thoughts for founding the company and, and I didn't know that. And I, and I love, every time I sit with somebody, I learn something I didn't know. And I think that's a, a fantastic uh, thing that I get from this um, and why you chose to do remote. Mm -hmm. But talk us through, I get, you're saying there, okay, this is Mrs. Me, this is Karen, mm -hmm. 
I'm sat here. I don't know how good I'm going to feel today, tomorrow. You said about I could work at two o'clock in the morning. But at some point, you then have to recruit your first yes. employee, yeah. which may be very much like that. Um, and two things I'd love to go through. Talk to us about how do you, well, how did you do that? So did you yep. recruit remotely? That's the first thing. And how did you then manage that time in between where, as you say, your schedule may have been sporadic for the mm -hmm. reasons that you said? And if you're suddenly awake at two o'clock in the morning, or does that work with time time zones? Yep. Talk, talk us through that, because that yep. would be fascinating to learn. Yeah, I have to hark way back here. But in the very early days, I had originally started the business with a business partner, and they had... Office, they preferred offices, so they wanted to work from an office. And I said, well, I don't care. Do what you will. And so we had some interns. We had some assistants. We had some people in that local area down south. <laughs> I say down south. I'm used to being from Scotland. Uh, We're, we've was... come further south now, and then it would be further <laughs> yeah. south still. Probably still uh, north of the border. Oh, no, it was. <laughs> but no. they they were working in an office, but when I decided to, you know, very meanably part yep. ways with a business partner and, you know, you go your way and yep. I'm going to focus entirely on what I want this to be. I want it to be a creative agency. I want to serve accountants. And at that moment, I had an opportunity to say, well, here's some team members who have essentially been working for two companies, realistically. And one serving, you know, consulting for small businesses and one fully serving accountants, which I was spending all my time on. So we had a bit of a split. And so some of the team members went to that other company. Yep. And then the ones who wanted to work full-time in PF went with me. And it, again, all very meanable. I'm very grateful yep. that it wasn't, there was nothing difficult about it. It was just a conversation to say, if we did this, yep. would you, and this is what we did is we asked the team. Yep. We said, would you, if we went 100% remote for PF, because I am remote, I don't yep. see a need for offices, we're not going to be connected with this business anymore, would that be a problem for you? Would that prevent you working with PF? And without exception, all of the, you know, grand sum of three yep. people we had yep. at the time that were going with PF said, actually, I would like that better. And because of that, we said, well, great, let's just carry on in that road. And Again, I don't think I set it up saying I intend to be remote and always be remote, never have offices. In my mind, I thought ahead and thought, you know, I'd love to have these beautiful creative offices with podcast rooms and video rooms and virtual reality and all of these things, some of which didn't exist then. But, you know, the concept of open creative offices where everybody comes in, I still liked and there is an element that I like about that. But the bigger the company be began to grow and the more people we added it actually opened up our opportunity to hire whoever we wanted to hire yeah. the right person and if the right person decided they wanted to move to brazil or america or a different part of the uk it didn't matter as long as they have internet and can work from a place where they can do video yeah. calls we don't care and we want them to live their best life and if their best life means that they're working from brazil great and that way, as long as they're happy in the company, we're happy with them, they're happy to be there, you don't have to lose team members. And all of that, I didn't realize at the time, but we began to realize. So as we added more and more team members, and now we've got team members in the U.S., in South Africa, Hungary, uh, Argentina, and all over the U.K., 
And that's because when we reach out to hire, sometimes we'll say this particular role needs to be UK. You're going to be going to events. You're going to be meeting up with clients. But by and large, it's, listen, if you're the right person, we will always consider you. And if the only reason that we couldn't hire you is because this particular role requires it, fine. Um, and the the level and skill and quality of team members and, and the amount of time that they stay with PF, I think, is reflected in the fact that they get to live their best life. We get to help accountants all over the world and everybody wins. I get all that. Um, something I hadn't really I'd not considered. So obviously I've been fortunate enough to, to work with some of your team, which was specifically U.S. and South Africa and it didn't really occur to me at the time, but it's just occurred to me now and I'm listening to you. So you had that before. Obviously, my experience of working with PF was during what? Not lockdown, but during that period, the pandemic period. And therefore, the use of video meetings was just the standard. So how did you find that first then? So was was it a case of were, were your clients comfortable with the concept of the remote meetings before they became the norm. How did you manage that transition? Because as I say, today, everyone takes it as normal. You know, we've, we've all got clients who we pro- we may never meet because yeah. we don't need to. Yeah. Uh, talk to us a li- about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a great point because in the very early days of setting up PF, when we primarily worked with UK clients, although even then, I, some of my first clients were in the States or Australia or other countries, but it was primarily UK because I was going along to account conferences yeah. and events and I was meeting people in person first. So and and I was also connecting with people I had worked with before. So I worked five years in an accountancy firm, which was a member of a network of accountancy firms. And then I worked five years for that network. So yeah. I, I had hundreds, if not thousands of accountants I was connected to when I set up PF, which was great. That was part of the reason for, OK, we have these people who know me personally. And a lot of those relationships started in person. So to move that to a remote conversation wasn't as big of a jump because we had some connection. And then once we got going and we built systems around it, we said, this is the way we do things. The only restrictions for us were that from time to time, we'd have an accountancy firm who said, we don't do business that way. So, for example, I remember this must be two, three years in, and I had a call with someone uh, from a firm down south. They had 12 partners. It was a decent-sized firm. And he said, oh, no, I wouldn't do video calls. You have to come in person. And I said, well, with respect, I, I do respect that, and you're able to make that choice. But if that's the case, if you feel so strongly that you have to have us, three of us, come to your offices and do a big presentation and you may or may not even work with us, that's not how we do things. Mm -hmm. And it's totally okay if you do, but if that's the case, this may not work. And in that case, that's what happened. He said, we don't want to work with you. And we said, okay, we wish you well. And all, all was grand. And that was kind of the beginning for me as well of recognizing you have to choose the clients that you are best placed to serve, even if they're lovely people, even if you wish you could help them. But having that honest conversation, again, I just had a conversation yesterday with a firm in the States who said, do you know, you talk a lot about collaboration involving your team. I'm not sure any of my team want to be involved. And I said, well, first, that's okay. You know, it's okay if they right now don't want to. 
But our experience and the data that we've seen with the firms we work with show that the firms who do involve their team, at least to some level, get better results. So it's your choice. But if you're not willing to even try or start, then we're not the people for you. And that's okay. So we did a lot of that in the early days, and we've settled it in now. And then, as you say, when pandemic came on, it just became, oh, of course, that's what you do. Two things I'd love to just pick up on there. I'd love now to be the fly on the wall with that that partner again that said, we can't, we, we're not going to do work yeah, that way. You have to shake hands, so, he said exa- to me. Well, there we go. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's even yeah. funnier. So I'd love to see how, how they've coped. Yeah. Um, that doesn't surprise me in, 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 in that sector at all. Uh, but that is really, really interesting. Uh, the second one, which I am very passionate about, is what you said there, which is actually recognising your business. Your I, I do describe it as values. People... Mm-hmm. To me, values and processes and habits are all the very are all the same thing. But sitting there and saying, "Look, this is what we do, and this is how we do it," and if you're and if we're not the right fit, it's best not to start yes. because too many too many agencies I know, too many agencies I've been involved with, will find it difficult to say no. Yes. They see it as growth. They see it as maybe potentially oh, that brand would be really good on our yes. you know our site, or you know that gets us into this sector. And I'm not going to say without doubt because that's probably not true, but the majority of times it ends up being an issue because the expectations are never totally met between both sides. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily one side's fault or the other, but the value proposition doesn't work. And the number of people, in fact, I was um, speaking with an ex-colleague of mine, ex-shareholder, a person of mine who's... um, recently sold uh, uh, his software business and one of the success points that business was exactly never changed the proposition from day one to 10 years later it just does Mm -hmm. that and if you want something else go and talk to somebody else because there's other people who do it this is what we do and they do it exceptionally exceptionally well so and i do think that's uh you know i I will speak later about the concept of niche because i love that Mm -hmm. because again i'm passionate about that and i was unsure whether um, I knew you were an accountant by profession and by experience, and I was unsure again whether the concept was circumstantial or intentional. You saw you saw accountants as the market in need mm-hmm. potentially, but then you also said something to me a few minutes ago, which is my um, a bit of circumstantial, but taking advantage of a situation is to say, yes. but I I already have. Uh, these contacts. I have a mm-hmm. name. I am known in these yep. circles, mm-hmm. and that that does it. So. Talk to me about we we mentioned I, I've just done, I've, I've I've jumped around a little bit there but spoke about values and one of the big big drivers for me and I see it in and I always say I've seen it in those businesses I've had that have succeeded and those that have not and the single drive single difference between success and otherwise and I never say failure because mm. I'm a big believer in there's no such thing as a failure unless you fail to learn from it um, those businesses that have been more successful the culture has been the difference mm. and you said something there about um the collaborative nature and, and, and cultures harder to maybe create maybe manage remotely talk to us about the culture you created mm. I, i've i've witnessed the pf culture um and i think there is something with and i accept i've met a fraction of your team mm. but i believe there is a um I, I, I don't like the word DNA because it gets overused, but yeah. there is a character trait, I would mm. suggest. There's a personality. There's a tone of voice. There's a flavor yes. 
and it, it's not today you're not wearing your famous yellow so <laughs> or your we're not looking at a pf logo but there is yeah. almost a ingrained pfness in those yes. people if that's makes any yeah, sense it does um so you you ha and i'm and again i always say your culture exists whether you designed it or you didn't yeah. so talk to us about uh, i don't believe you've just been lucky with those people no. so talk talk to us and talk to listeners about how you how, what how did you decide on the culture yeah. you wanted and how did you create it and how today do you still manage that culture yeah it's such a great question there's so many elements but if we simplify it down it comes back to that issue of values which you mentioned and one of the things that became evident to me first when I decided to go my own route with PF and not have a business partner and not uh, go along with what somebody else wanted for the business, but what I wanted at that point was when I thought, what are my like my personal values and how does that relate to the company? So that was when we came up with the four pillars uh, that summarize the sort of character traits or the approach that we take at PF, which is creativity, integrity, generosity, and rest. Probably a whole nother podcast that we could talk about those four, but the simple version is that those four are the pillars on which we build the company. We want to be creative people and always do business with integrity. We want to be generous people. And we recognize that in order to be your most creative, you also need to involve rest which many companies don't consider as very Absolutely. much a hustle culture and crush it and all of this, which, again, from my health issues and my energy yeah. issues, that was a big reason for me personally. But I soon discovered that the people who fit best at PF, team members and clients, were ones who also recognized that and the other pillars and said, yes, we want to be creative or lean into our creativity. We have integrity. We want to be generous. We're not just doing this to make money for the sake of money. We, we like what money enables us to do yes. or to experiences we have or people we can help. And we want to be people who are rested in the best sense of the word, like the, the people who love their life and can do what they want to do and are not stressed and rushed yeah. all the time. So we set up those four pillars and we began involving those in our selection of the clients we worked with and the team members we hired. And then, as often happens, I agree entirely with what you said about fails. We talk a lot about fails at PF, but it's always fails and learning. Yep. It's never a fail that stands alone. And when I look back at my fails, which I almost put in quotes, but they were fails, but I don't regret a single one of them Absolutely. because every single one you go, well, how else could I have learned this? So we had some hiring fails, as everyone does. And one of the, the most significant ones for me just twigged something in my mind to make me go, oh, we have to involve our these pillars and also maybe some behavioral values in our hiring process. And we've got to be able to look for patterns. And hey, what if we did that for team and clients mm. so that we're selecting the people who are best placed, we're best placed to serve and who are best placed to serve those kind of people. So we looked at some fails that we had had and said, okay, what didn't work? What were the traits and qualities that made things a problem when things blew up or, or, or difficult things happened? Because difficult things will always happen. You know, you put a pot on the stove and it boils over. What boils over is what's in the pot. Yeah. So we started looking at the team members and said, okay, what's, what's in the pot, you know, and and what's ever in there is going to come out when there's tough times. So if you've got integrity, if you've got responsibility and positivity, that's going to come out in tough times. Yeah. 
So the six values that we create is we have the four character traits, which are the pillars, but the six internal values are like behaviors and actions. So if you have a client who's unhappy with something, it's a little difficult to say, how can I creatively respond with integrity and be generous? You can, but it makes it a little challenging to be very specific. So we created values like take responsibility, be positive, collaborate, have an opinion. Those, those kinds of values help you to go, okay, am I being collaborative? Am I having an opinion? But am I at the same time being gracious? And all of those values fit together. So we took those four pillars and those six values and we started saying we will hire and fire team and clients by these values. Crucial for me, that. So crucial. We created a, we now have a seven stage hiring process that takes six to eight weeks usually on average for somebody to move through. And sometimes somebody will get to stage six of seven and will say, you are a wonderful, energetic, talented person, and this is not the role for you. I literally just had to do that this week. And I sent them a video and I said, you have invested your whole self in this process and we salute you. We think you're a wonderful person. We'd love to hang out with you if we could, but this role is not the best for you. And we would not be doing you a favor if... We let you take this role because for this particular role, we need a certain level of experience that they just didn't have. It's not their fault. They just didn't have it. And and similarly with clients, you know, when we're looking at working with a, with a potential client and the emails or the comments or the approach that they take isn't a fit, as you say, mm. better to call it early. That's one of my learnings from all of my fails. The earlier you can call it Absolutely. when you know, the better. Uh, but those two things absolutely go together because, as you said there, it's about we've all made those errors on recruitment. Yeah. And then normally when you recruit uh, through desperation yes, and you believe you're under time pressure or this client's not going to have a client manager for a period yep. of time or whatever, whatever the reason is. Yep. Or, you know, I won't be able to uh, grow my business without number of people. That That's yep. the risk of some of the metrics we see in this industry about headcount, et cetera, yep. for me. But I, it's fascinating you say that, which is in the say, it's, it's about being brave. We, we Again, if we go back to the very first uh, sort of edition of this, we spoke about the, you know, what we talk about, the logic and the emotion of decision-making. Yes. And the problem is the emotion very much there is I need the person, I like the person, they'll be a great fit. I've done it, I've done it too many times, it's taken me too long to learn, that... I'm wanting the person to succeed. I'm yes. wanting the person to fit. Yes. Not sitting there going, okay, do it absolutely logically. Look at look at it logically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the patterns. Yeah. This is something we've talked a lot about. The patterns are how did they respond to this email? How did they show up to the call? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things did they say? If all you have is a CV and one interview, you don't have enough for patterns. But at least, I'm not saying everybody has to have a seven-stage no, no. process. Have whatever works for you. But, but a multi-stage process. Multi, yes, there you go. The multi-stage process allows you to see little elements. And every time we go through it, we say to ourselves, oh, we really like this person. Mm-hmm. Like you said, yep. willing them to succeed. And every time that happens, we take consciously take a step back and say we have to trust the process. We have set the process up for a reason. It has not let us down. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean every hire we make is perfect. But by and large, the people that we've hired tend to be the people who remain. And the ones who don't work out, oftentimes these days, it's because something happened in their life. Mm. 
And that's okay. Life happens. And so just recognizing those patterns and making a note of them, and as you said, being a little more logical Mm -hmm. by looking at the data and saying, am I rushing into this because I had a great conversation with them and they fired me up? And then going, wait, hang on. Okay, how did they respond to emails? How did their tester Mm -hmm. project go? How did they relate to the rest of the team? And, And trusting that if you don't rush it, the right person won't want it rushed either. Absolutely. We had on the the, the last edition, we had Leanne, the business psychologist. Mm, yes. and, and she was talking about the same thing, which is about the evidence-based approach. Yes. And what's the process that you're going to follow for this? Because we're all guilty of bending the rules to hope to get yep. the outcome we want. And guess what? It usually usually backfires. So I think that I think that is crucial. The other thing I just wanted to come back on there was the whole thing about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love the fact that you said having an opinion matters. Yes. So um, I am not known for my lack of opinion, Karen. <laughs> this is shocking information, Stuart. <laughs> so, and some people appreciate an opinion and some people mm-hmm. uh, don't appreciate an yeah. opinion. And I was, uh, this is a true story, but it, you look at it in, and you sort of shake your head. I was um, sat, in, earlier in my career, I was sat in an organisation and uh, I was a new director in this business and I was asked the usual thing, you know, you do your 100-day plan, all that kind of stuff, That whether that's relevant these days, but the review. And I, and I sat with the chairman of this business and explained um, that there was a blame culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the lack of accountability and responsibility concerned me in certain areas. And his response was to bring all the directors in and say, whose fault's this? <laughs> so, so that was... <laughs> I'm sure that worked out perfectly. So, so that was... And, and, the, and the other bit, this is the same person who said, uh, a little bit like Brian Clough famously said, uh, which was, you know, collaboration is enough people in a room agreeing with me. Uh, That's not the no. point. Uh, <laughs> and the one thing that, um, you know, the, the point of opinions and, and also being, you've said it there, brave in your decision-making, is also being brave enough and open enough to listen to the people's opinions. Yes. And not it has to go both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Abso- absolutely. Yeah. And that combination of values. At, at PF, we, we have an opinion. We expect the client to have an opinion. And we expect both sides to address that graciously. So you're not being harsh or aggressive or rude with your opinion. Some people are more direct and, and state it more bluntly. You can, That can still be gracious. The point is that you're able to have that space yes. to share that opinion. Yeah. Let's talk about something now that you said there. I mean, and it might it might come under the collaboration banner. Um, I know that um, because obviously of knowing some of your team, I know that you've been a uh, a fan of or a, a a creator of what you refer to as retreat days. Mm. And I've always been fascinated as to whether that's the Americanism because in my, I've always believed retreats were an were were an American thing, but team days and. There is um, there's a lot of the minute that goes on about employee engagement, and it's and it's a big area, and it's a growing area in in the in the agency sector certainly. Um, but it's something that even you know we've struggled with at Map, which is we are predominantly remote. Sure. But how do we get? How do you keep yes. your values going? How do you keep people coming together? Uh, talk to us about then the things that you've done and how you get that collaborative environment with your mm-hmm. team that you can't achieve you know, just if it's 100% remote all the time. Yeah, it's such a good point because as much as I love remote and what it's done for me and for PF and for the team members and for our clients, there is no doubt in my mind that the live in-person connection 
enhances and deepens relationships either faster or for longer or both. So the start can be faster and then the relationship can continue longer. And we noticed that at PF when after we'd been going, I'd say a couple years on, on this new way and I'm running the business now and it's all remote. And I noticed that when we would get together for like an accounting conference or an event that we would go to, the ideas and the connections and the enthusiasm, there was a longevity to it that we didn't have with the team meets. And, and at the time, we were doing team meets every week, two hours a week with the full team. Plus, we had other meets. And, you know, we were talking a lot. We used Slack and we used that as our office. And, and when we had an in-person event, we would notice for weeks, months, even years after there were connections that were made between the team members and between the team members and clients that lasted longer, that caused clients to decide to go ahead with a certain service yeah. that they'd been dithering on. And, and even just small things like celebrating with the client that they won an award yeah. or taking pictures of them speaking and sharing that. So when I noticed that, I thought, okay, we have to make sure that we craft opportunities to be physically together for those who aren't coming to these events or, or not waiting for a conference to be announced so that we could get together. So we started doing what we called team retreats because we wanted to literally retreat from the daily work of the business and spend time together. So the purposes of the team retreats were then, and probably still are now, uh, hanging out, banter, relationship, uh, creativity, space, and also strategic things and conversations and how might we do better and all of that. And because we had a smaller team and most of them were in the UK, we would do two or three days uh, in a location in the UK and we would uh, fly or train or get everybody to those retreats, but we only did it for the UK team. And then as we started to get team members further afield, we started looking at the money, which is what you yeah. it's so tempting we'll to do. do. It. We'll do it. Yeah, because previously you're going, That's oh, the it's 30. You, Karen. That's it the, is. It's coming out. <laughs> you know, you're going, oh, well, it's 30 quid to get yep. this team yep. member on the yep. train, 50 yep. quid for that one, and 700 pounds yep. <laughs> to fly this team member. And instantly you, you have this sort of knee-jerk reaction of, oh, do we really want to invest? And I remember at the time thinking, yes, we need to, and also trying to balance that with profits and cash and all this. So I took the decision for one of these retreats to bring one international team member. And that meant that some weren't there. And the team said at the end, we always say, what did you love about the retreat? Mm -hmm. What would you change? And you know, what's your next steps? What are you doing next? And the team said, the one thing I would change is if we're going to have a team retreat, it has to be the Everybody. whole team. And I loved that they all felt comfortable to say that. Like, this did not work, Karen. This was a fail in that sense. It was a win in all these sense, but it wasn't. So from that point, we said, right, if we're going to have a team retreat, it's going to be everybody. So then we did that. And then all of a sudden we added so many team members, you know, six team members in the space of six months. And we went from 11 to 17 or 18. And we went, wow, 18 people for a team retreat. That's big. And we decided to go for it. And so now the current place we're in, it keeps changing, is that we'll have a, a full all team retreat of everybody all over in the world, at least once every two years. If we can do it every year, we will. 
And then we have hybrid retreats in quarterly. So that means everybody gets together on a Zoom call for a session one day. And then people in the U.S. get together physically. People in Argentina get together physically. People in the U.K. get together physically. So there is that connection, but we're balancing it with our budget. That's the old classic. We're going to have to get a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. A couple of things there I want want to reflect on. Um, I, I think, actually, I think it's testament to what I've witnessed, but your testament to the culture you have built, Karen, is you've said something there that I think really matters. And you said about an opinion. Mm-hmm. You've got team members there that have said, I'm sorry, I don't think this is working. Now, I know lots of organisations for whom staff wouldn't say that because they've just had a day off. They've just yeah. had, let's, you know, inverted commas, yeah. a jolly. Yeah. So the last thing they're going to do is put that at mm-hmm. risk. So I think, obviously, congratulations to you there and your team that you've, you've obviously got a culture there that you say, there's evidence of your values in action. We do it. We stand by it. Mm-hmm. People are not prepared to give an opinion, and we listen, and we do something about it. Mm-hmm. That is that is uh, good, even if all that training can't stop you looking at can't stop you <laughs> can't stop looking at the costs. And yeah. um, when you were saying that about uh, the sort of physical piece, um, we had um, as well as as Leanne, we had uh, Hannah Johnson, who's a business psychologist, and the psychology of well, business psychology always fascinates me, but the psychology of decision making mm-hmm. always fascinates me. And there is a lot of evidence that talks about why holidays are so um, popular mm. is the concept of fixing a memory as well with a decision. And w- mm. often people talk about, you know, I could smell something, it takes me back to my childhood. Yes. There is evidence about the fact that that time spent f- with you, your feet are physically somewhere else yes. and you're with that team person mm-hmm. helps the brain. Don't ask me for the science behind <laughs> it. I just know the evidence exists that actually says that becomes a more permanent memory. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when you said these things last longer, yes. there is evidence to show yes. why it works that way. Yeah. And as much as remote does it, we, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that. So that that's that's really um, interesting. You said something else there that I'd love just to, to get your thoughts on. You said Slack was our office. Yes. Now, you know, Slack is something which, uh, you know, we see every day and everyone use what well two things what do you mean by that mm. i think i know what you mean but so we're absolutely clear more importantly what have you learned yes. from slack being your office yeah i remember choosing slack from actually it was a event with a bunch of other agency owners that either map had organized or i knew about through that and one of the agency owners mentioned that they were using slack and about 50% of the rest of the agency owners said, yeah, us too. And I went home and went, I think I need to look at this because we needed a place where we could communicate consistently and together because we were remote. So we started using Slack. And I remember at the time thinking, maybe I wouldn't have put it in these words, but recognizing that Slack was truly our office. Because if you think about having a physical office mm-hmm. and at 9 a.m., Somebody comes in, they open the door and everybody says good morning and you say good morning and then you have a little chit chat and you get some coffee and you say, what are you working on today? Or maybe you put it on on a whiteboard or something. And I thought, how do we take all the good things of an office environment and make sure that we're not missing those the best that we can by using Slack? So a couple of the ways that we set up Slack in the early days included a priorities channel, which is a the top three or four things that come what may you're gonna do your darndest to get done that day 
So it might be, I'm gonna work on this client, I'm gonna do this project, I'm gonna finish this thing, uh, or I'm gonna make progress on it. And then we put, I have these meetings. So mine today might be, you know, I'm doing some board meet prep for tomorrow, I'm working on some sales targets, and the meets I have are Stuart with the podcast, I'm meeting Dave for lunch, you know, and I put those in there. And the whole team does this. So whatever time they start, because we have a team that's crossing yep. all these time zones. Yep. So by 9 a.m., you have 10 or 11 team members who have already put in their priorities. But again, at 11 a.m., when the people from Argentina yep. come in, and at 2 p.m., when the U.S. team members come in. And so you can see what everybody intends to be working on. So it helped me as a boss just to be aware as the team grew, this is my intentions for the day. It also helped with things like, hey, you've had the same priorities for four days in a row. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. you can use some help with? Yeah. So the channels that we created, we have channels for victories. So that's primarily for sales. Every time we yeah. win a new client, that goes in there automatically from our systems. But the team will use it for something significant, like, hey, our recovery rate has improved, mm -hmm. and you know that's a target. Well done, everybody, and we put that in there. And we have channels for kind words. So anytime you want to give a kind word to a team member or a client and say, I just really want to praise this client. They, they got all their stuff in and they, they really gave an opinion or, you know, they lived out the values. And then we connected that with our team meets. So we do our team meets on rotation and we have a team meet that focuses on victories and a team meet that focuses on recognitions and a team meet on trainings and a team meet on different categories that all fit together. So what's in Slack fits with the online meetings, fits with the team retreats and the days that we spend together. So I think just being, for me, being intentional with Slack, and we still are, we now have 18, we're hiring more people, so we're getting close to 20. And it, in one way, it becomes more of a challenge because Slack gets noisier. But we just did a whole exercise where our ops director reviewed all the Slack channels and said, these ones are going to go, these ones are going to be merged, these ones are going to be used differently, and we're still using it, and then we adapt it based on what the team is, is at at that time. I love the point of the, the specific meetings. Yes. Um, I have a, a habit of always bringing my conversations back to sporting analogies, so I'm not going to fail on the last episode <laughs> of this season. And there is, again, lots of evidence, but it's just you can see it's the difference between when um, the sport that I love, rugby, went professional, well, rugby, rugby league has been professional, rugby union went professional, was the fact that, you know, when they used to train twice a week or the classic half-time team talk, they everyone's trying to get their opinion across mm. you've got 10 minutes to and guess what the priority from one person is different to the other and the ability now to sit there and they learnt the rugby union learnt it from the rugby league as well if we're training every day on monday we're going to discuss our defensive issues mm -hmm. on tuesday we yes. might discuss our inability to attack at the weekend on wednesday mm -hmm. we might discuss this and it's that thing that where otherwise Everybody wanted an opinion. Everybody yeah. wanted to shout and holler, and nothing ever gets yes. fixed. So I, I love that that you're saying there yeah. that you know we we take the time to celebrate the victories. I think that's a massive thing that's important. I think we're all too guilty of sometimes that not celebrating mm -hmm. the wins, but doing that and not doing the thing which again, you know, very often happens, which is 
you well, that was great, but my priority is this problem over here. Yeah. Take the win for what it is, enjoy yeah. it, and and then also don't dilute the problem yes. when you come to discuss it. So that's that's really interesting. Um, I want I'm conscious of time and 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 how long we've got left. I wanted to talk specifically. We mentioned again. We've mentioned a few times today the con- the international the in- intentional or circumstantial decision making, and you've said. Um, about how you ended up, not how you ended up, how you created in the market mm. existing with accountants. Talk to me about your experience of working in a niche. We, we know, I, I'm a big fan of this, and, and I believe that the concept, that there is a phrase full service agency, which mm-hmm. always worries me. Um, <laughs> and I know from the data we can see from now over 116 agencies that those that are in a niche uh, tend to perform better it doesn't mean they're the biggest it doesn't mean they're Mm -hmm. the best but they tend to they have an ability to grow or very often they're better at creating profitability because they are just sticking to something whether that be a process or whatever talk to us about your niche because i'm really interested about i mean i'm interested in about your experiences from the niche Mm -hmm. and i'd like to use this to move forward as to the things that uh, obviously i've experienced your business in terms of the should we, let's just say the marketing services. Mm-hmm. But I'm also fascinated in what you call your accelerator. Yes. And I'm going to go back to my sporting piece. That's what I would describe as coaching. Mm-hmm. You may or may not describe no, it as No, we do. That. It's okay. a coaching group, yeah. So talk to us about that. Talk to us about what you've learned yeah. about being in a niche market, pros and cons yeah. for that, and then talk to us about how you've developed your offering for that niche market. Yeah, so the, the niche for us, as you say, started with we just want to help accountants. But what's really interesting is that you start with an industry that you think is very specific, and in one sense it was, but over the years, it's not just accountants. It's a certain kind of accountant. They tend to be accountants who are ambitious in whatever way ambition looks like to them. They have those values that we talked about and those pillars, and you know they're willing to have an opinion. They're gracious. They're, they know that they have creativity within them. They're willing to explore that. And... As we dug into it, we realized we were sticking with our niche, but we were digging deeper and and making that niche even more specific as time went on. So the people we were serving in the early days was just any accountant who yep. came to us. So in a sense, we were doing that thing that businesses do, even though we had a niche, where if somebody comes to you, you say yes. And what we've discovered is that if you do them the favor and yourself the favor of evaluating whether they're the best client and you're the best company to serve them, everybody wins. And that way you get to market from a place of confidence and generosity because you don't have to selfishly take every lead. If it's not a fit, you say, listen, I don't think we're the best. We wish you well. Matter of fact, here's an agency that we suggest you go serve and or go work with who yep. is best place to serve you. So we learned a lot about that, but I will say and I've always said it to our clients who ask cuz our accountants are often say do I have to have a niche. And I'm saying you have to be specific about your audience. Whether that's an industry yes. niche or not doesn't matter as much as how specific you are. You want your website and your marketing materials to cause the buyer, the potential buyer to say oh, that is me. And if they come to it in a our example, an accountancy firm website, but it could be any of these agency sites. It works for agencies too. You come to an agency site and it says all the same things that all these other agencies say. And then suddenly they go, well, this agency works with gamers. I'm a gamer. Perfect. But if you don't have that industry niche, then 
You figure out the qualities, the patterns, the characteristics. Are they ambitious? Are they driven? Are they scaling? Are they a solo business owner? Are they a female business owner? What, whatever it is that is your thing, that's what you have to get down to because then it benefits the buyer who's trying to decide between you and potentially yep. 10, 40, whatever, and they don't, they're overwhelmed with choice. So we, we took all of what we were learning about our niche and said, how can we best help them to move through the process of getting to the place of success in their marketing, whatever success looks like for them? And we created what we call the marketing map, and it's a, a visual graphic that says you start with learning about how marketing works for accountants, and that's the coaching group. Then you go through the foundational sessions, those are the ones that you and Paul went through. What are your goals? What's your brand? What's the client journey and how does that show on your website and what's your marketing plan? And from that point, that directs, do you need a brand project? Do you need a website project? Do you need monthly marketing? And that whole, the marketing map and the way that we explain it means that when an accountant comes to us, we can say, we have looked at what works for accountants. Same things you do yeah, with agencies. Yeah, yeah. When we look at that, the patterns say that if you try to shortcut this and you jump straight into creating blogs every month, well, who are you doing the blogs for? Mm. And what is your tone of voice? And what is it that you want them to buy? That's all in the foundation sessions. It's also addressed in the accelerator. So I created the accelerator, which is a 12-week coaching group. We used to call it a course. But then we realized it's not really a course because we're helping and we're advising and they're asking questions and there's 10 to 30 accountants in the group I, I, and they're I, asking how it applies to them. Sorry to cut across yeah. you there, but do you know what's fascinating for me there? Again, that might be the changing market you said about the ambitious accountant. I would imagine a few years ago the concept of a course would 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 resonate more with accountants than telling them Yes. about coaching but it's changed now yes and now the clients you work the, with are yes. different yes, yes like people don't want courses because nope. if you want a marketing course you can go yeah. find one free yeah. on youtube yeah. fine so what we said is how can we help take these principles that we know you need to learn and there were 12 of them and those really haven't changed and we've been running this for about eight years we've got over 500 accountants been through it and those 12 principles haven't really changed, but how it applies to each accounting firm does. And what is beautiful is here's all these accountants who technically you could think would be in competition with mm. each other, but they're not looking at it that way. They're saying, we're each of us unique. And that's the point of marketing yeah. to say, what is your unique thing? And let's address that. So, so well, not the last thing I want to talk about because... I want to come back to something we started with, but you've just made me think of something else there, which is one of the challenges we see. So you have, in my eyes there, productized a service. Mm -hmm. So you've had your service. Then you've said, look, we know how this flows. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's a map because maps matter. And I say this <laughs> yeah. so where we're in the map room. So we love someone else who has a map. Um, but there's evidence that says, you know what, this process works. We've yeah. tested it. We've yep. road tested it. We we It's evidence-based, and we can show yes. how it works. And as you say, and if you're not the right target yep. client, you might this map not, yep. might not be right for you, yeah. but we do it. And then that's, that, to me, is productizing a service. And I see that, again, with some of the agencies we work with or I work with independently. It's all about how do you productize that service. Mm -hmm. If you're going to just be selling time yeah. then you are it is that commodity that's difficult and access to people and all things we spoke about but if you can productize that service 
I believe there is a win. There is a win for the client because they recognize it more. They're more confident in purchasing something than I'm just buying time. None of us Mm -hmm. like buying time. I try to explain this to lawyers. They don't understand. Nobody likes (laughs) just a meter running, but they like something they can visualize. They like it in a product. Um, And so just quickly talk to us about, because that's one of the things that I know lots of our clients and lots of agencies in general struggle with. How do we productize this, let's just say, design yeah. and build service or yeah. whatever it is? What's been your learnings from productizing the service? Yeah, I would say the learnings are that if you're creating it so that you have a product, like, hey, we have a product, we'll be super profitable, then your your mentality is going the wrong direction. The focus has to be, How can what we put together make it simpler and easier for the client to grasp, understand, and trust? You know, the buyer has to see it and believe it and trust it, and that's a process. So as you say, when you present to them, here is our way of doing things. Here's how we apply. I always say to people with the accelerator, listen, I'm not pretending this is rocket science. You're going to find tons of other marketers who are going to say, first, you need to consider your audience. And then you need to think about what their issues are. And then you need to show them this, consider your brand, etc. But the way we do it applies specifically to accountants And then there are some extra elements like a cornerstone is what we call that summary of your process and your way. And every agency who's listening will have a certain way of doing things that may not be wildly different from any other agency on the planet. But if you combine that way with the journey that you know your particular client follows and the values you hold, those three things, your way, your values, and their journey, that makes a cornerstone, that makes a something you can productize that is truly unlike anyone else's. Amazing. Brilliant. And I should have said there, you should put that in a book until I realise you have. <laughs> Done. You have. So, uh, and I'm conscious, because I know Paul Paul was involved in writing the forward yeah. for, for this book. So very quickly, yeah. tell us about the... Tell us about the book you've got. Because you mentioned at the start of the show, you said, oh, spoiler alert, my second book. So tell me, I only knew about the first one. Yes, there are three more coming. Right, so briefly, tell us about that then. Tell us about what you've done, but more exciting, what's in the pipeline. Yeah, so The Accountant Marketer is the book, and that came from these years of running Accelerator, these 12 elements that nicely fit into 12 Mm. chapters, which I was bound and determined working with my editors on. It has to be 12. They have to match because they have to go in order. And we learned that by running the coaching group. If you don't understand that audience is number one and and know who your audience is, there's no point looking at brand yet because brand involves your audience. So they go in order, there's 12 elements, and what I was doing is the team helped me co-lead the Accelerator Coaching Group sessions. So to help the team be ready to lead, I started pulling out the key points from each session. Like a coaching manual. As you do, exactly. That's what it was. It was just a Google Doc, sure. And I was like, let me just drop this in here. Nice. And I started out with, here's the key points. And then I started gathering content that I had written over the last 10 years for accountants. And I've been writing blog posts weekly for 10 years. And I started gathering all that content, all the content about websites, all the content about audience, all the content about video. And I put it all in a Google Doc and I'm like, oh, there's 60,000 words here. That might be a little more than a PDF guide. 
So that was when we decided to turn, we, the team together, yeah. I literally had a, t a couple team members say, Karen, you are not allowed to make this a PDF yeah. guide. You must make this a book. This is a good book. Our clients need it. We need it to be able yeah. to have as a resource. So we put all those together into the accountant marketer. And the name reflects the fact, we talked about this, that if an accountant thinks, well, I'm not a marketer, I'm an accountant, yeah. they're missing an opportunity. Because if you're an accountant who's a business owner, you are a mark. You have to be a yeah, marketer. Yeah. But the kind of marketer you are, there's things that you already know and are doing, and, and that can build confidence as you do it, which leads nicely to the second book, which is accountants, you are creative. You have the creative elements, which are problem solving and curiosity. Mm. That's what makes up creativity. So that's the second book. The third one is on rest because of all that I've learned about these principles of rest and how you apply that to be more creative. And then the fourth one is called Just Keep Going, which Brilliant. is my personal mantra in life and in business. When you got something good, stick with it for the long run and you'll see the benefits. Interesting. Um, I'm a big believer in those principles and those pillars are adaptable to other sectors yes. and other areas. So there are there are accountants who listen to this because they sure. want to listen to what their accountants are doing so they may want yeah. to find you there may be other business there may be agency owners that want to look hang on a minute if i'm looking at productizing my service whilst it might be different to yes. karen's how yes. do i do that that would be valuable yeah. how would somebody find that book how do they yeah. find what you've done yeah so the book right now at time of recording is on pre-order so you can go to my personal website which is karenlrayburn.com spell rayburn for people R E-Y-B-U-R-N. Okay. And there's big button that says pre-order the book. Yep. You can pre-order yep. the paperback or pre-order the ebook, and that's coming out in the autumn. And if you want to be on the list to hear about the future books as well, the uh, creativity, the rest, the just keep going, uh, there are some notes that I send, and you can also sign up for those. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I think, um, obviously, Conscious, we've 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 slightly run over, but I think it's been really good. Um, you know, we've come to the end of this this first series. Um, we will be doing a we will be doing a second one. Um, we started this by saying, how do we help? You said, how do we, with your clients? How do we help our clients um, learn a little bit more about? They're not on their own on this, and there is help out there. And they can listen to the stories of others, maybe to either learn from mistakes or get some confidence or just ideas, etc., to, to to put into their own business. And we've covered lots and lots of areas. So we always said we wanted experience. We didn't want theorists. We want people who'd been there and done it. Um, yourself is another fine example. We've had lots of founders in. And we've had lots of people who've been very generous with their time for us, which I we need to thank everybody for. But even more importantly, been very generous and very open and very honest. And everybody we've had in this first series of the Map Room, I think, has brought a, an, an honesty to the table and not been afraid to say, look, I, I got this wrong and yep. this is what I do. Uh, and I think that's why those, you know, we've, we've chosen yourself and all the guests to do that. So obviously... I want to thank all the guests we've had. I want to obviously thank Karen for spending her time today. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's taken the time to listen and invest time uh, in this podcast. And we wouldn't have got to the end of this first series uh, without you. Um, we will be starting another one from September onwards. So if there's anybody out there that wants either to, uh, would like to come talk to this audience, or if you're the agency owner or the business owner that says, I'd really like to learn something more about this area of the business, then uh, you can always find me at Stuart at weamap.co.uk. And that's Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. 
But before we wrap this first series up, I also want to recognise that these things don't just happen. And in addition to our brilliant guests, Karen Today and you, our valued audience, I also want to thank Cal and his talented engineering production team behind the glass here at Audio Always, who have made every episode such a great experience over the last 12 months for me and for each and every guest. We will be back later in the year for seasons two, but until then, I wish you all continued success with your agencies and I hope you all manage to get a well-deserved break over the summer. I'm Stuart Brown and you've been listening to The Map Room. The Map Room has been brought to you by Map, the outsourced finance function for digital agencies. Subscribe via your usual podcast app to never miss an episode.